Hey guys, we're so glad you're tuning into the Apex Students Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message from Apex Students, and we pray that you don't walk away without looking a little bit more like Jesus. I have a question for you. Do you have any deal breakers? Don't yell them out. But deal breakers of friendship. Like if you think of uh, like a type, like listen, people who like country music, just there's no room in my life for that. That's not, that's not me. It's not me. <laughs> But people have said that to me, is <laughs> what I'm saying. Or like, oh, people that, that don't like sushi, we cannot even be friends. They don't even get it. I think we all, maybe we're kidding. Maybe some people take it a little more seriously than others. But getting to know people can get tough. As you get closer to people, learn things about them, that can be difficult. Two weeks ago, uh, we, we talked about the basics of Apex. And we talked about getting to know people and what that's like and how difficult that can be um, and practical ways to get to know people as we work to make Apex the friendliest place on earth, right? Um, so some of the things we talked about, you might remember, form, right? Family, occupation, recreation, mission. So when we're getting to know people, we might ask about their family relationships with their parents, like what are their, do you have any siblings? Um, occupation, what do you do for work? Where do you go to school? Recreation, what's your thing? What do you do for fun? Is it music, sports, video games? woodworking, etc. Um, what's your mission? What's your passion? What are some things that you really care about in the world? Um, getting to know people can be really difficult. Imagine for me that you, um, fa- you find the love of your life. It's far off, I promise. But you find the love of your life, this partner that you're going to be with forever. But you don't make getting to know them a priority. So you don't know their parents. You don't know how many siblings they have. You don't know what they do for work. You don't know um, their favorite musics or their favorite foods. You don't know what they're passionate about. And if you don't know the the shallow stuff, you definitely don't know the deep mission, passion stuff about them. You might be in a relationship, but if you never grow from that place, your relationship has some big-time weaknesses, right? Um, And I would suggest that that you won't have a relationship for very long either way. This might be a trite example. Um, But the point I'm trying to make is that we worship God, we pray to God, we speak to God, we sing to God, we do things to honor God. All that time we spend devoted to him and, and trying to get closer to him, we have to try to understand who he is. Um, and this is where we get the word theology. You may have heard this word. Say the word theology. Yes, great job. You may have heard of biology and geology and bracketology, and uh, it's the same idea with entomology, etymology, which is the study of words. So we have ology typically means the study of. So biology is the study of life. Bio means life. Geology means the study of the earth. Geo means the earth. You may have heard those in other words. Um, so we have this word theology. Theo, theos, usually means God. That means like spiritual things, God things. We'll see it come up a couple times. But theology is the study of God. So tonight, we're going to talk about a very important piece of theology that has caused the church to split. (laughs) Not our church, but the church has caused branches of of Jesus followers to say, I don't want to be part of this because of this piece of theology. We're in this series called Basic. We're talking about the foundational pieces of following Jesus, the foundational aspects of a Christian's life. Um, And if you remember one thing tonight, remember, as we talk about um, basic, the basic trinity, remember this one thing. He is as much one as he is three. He is as much one as he is three. And if that sounds confusing, that's because it is. 
And uh, hopefully by the time we're done tonight, you're going to have a, a little bit of a grasp on this idea that he is as much one as he is three. We believe our God is one God in three persons. One God in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So tonight we're going to talk about um, the Trinity throughout the Bible. We're going to talk about the Trinity in our lives, what the Trinity means too much to us. And we're going to talk about how he is as much one as he is three. So let's start at the very beginning, the foundation, the basics. Um, this word Trinity is a juicy contradiction. And um, that's because if we go back to etymology, we see it's made up of two pieces, tri-unity, right? Trinity, tri-unity. We know these things. Tri, tricycle, um, triplets. Tri means three, right? Tri-unity, three. Unity means one. So this word trinity means three and one, and that is confusing. How can He is as much three as he is one. So the word emphasizes both his threeness and his oneness. And this contradiction makes the trinity hard to explain. And, uh, as we try to understand God and explain God, our, our natural minds, our tiny brains, have difficulty understanding the creator of the universe. Go figure, right? So as we try to use natural means to explain a supernatural God, we're going to have issues. We're going to have problems with that. If you're not a church person, um, where we're going right now may be foreign to you, um, but stick with me. My fellow kids church veterans will recognize some of these things. And before we go there, I am not telling you that your Sunday school teacher is a liar, um, but what I'm going to tell you is that the Trinity is hard to explain. It's really difficult to understand and understand uh, well, correctly. So let's talk about a couple kids church object lessons and... They are also Trinitarian heresies. So again, it's, uh, so, uh, uh, the Trinity is easier to explain what it isn't than what it is. So let's talk about some things it isn't. Have you ever heard of the Trinity explained like an egg? Three things the Trinity isn't. You've heard this, right? The, uh, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is like the yolk of the egg, the whites of the egg, and the shell, right? We have three and one things, except an egg, it's got three things, right? Like we, we say... One, but really, we're talking about three things. The yolk, the eggs, the, the white of the eggs, and the shell. Um, there's too much threeness in an egg for it to perfectly ex under, uh, explain the Trinity. Does that make sense? Too much threeness going on here. And um, like I mentioned earlier, the church, like early church, had big discussions over these things. And different people thinking different things. And so they came together and had discussions about it. And they're like, okay. This is what they call a heresy, which means a misunderstanding of God. And so this particular heresy is called tritheism. Again, theism, tri meaning three, theism meaning God. So this, this is a way to explain if we had three gods that were kind of buddies, we would say. It's like an egg, but not quite the Trinity. Um, he is as much one as he is three. So have you ever heard the Trinity explained like water, like the different forms of water, right? We have um, ice, water, and steam, solid, liquid, and a gaseous form of H2O. Um, it's kind of like the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, except we're talking about one H2O changing forms. And that is not what what God does. That's not what the Trinity does because he is as much one as he is three. This describes one thing, changing forms. And the Trinitarian heresy is called modalism. Think of like modes. Like God has these three different modes that he changes forms into. That's not how it works. And they had big discussions over this in the early church. And they said, this ain't it. 
Modalism is a problem because he is as much one as he is three. Have you heard of the Trinity explained like candy corn? (laughs) Some of you said yes, right? Some of you, some of you have heard it. It's a little bit less uh, common. But we have three colors in one candy. We have orange, red, white pieces. The phases of the candy corn, they make up one candy corn, kind of like the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, except I don't care what color it is. Candy corn is one thing. Disgusting. So we have one thing. <laughs> we have one thing here. And, uh, and the heresy condemning candy corn in the early church was called Unitarianism. Unitarianism, una meaning one, like a, a unicycle. Um, unicorn has one horn. Yeah. A Unitarianism is basically un- the understanding of God that there is no Trinity. Um, they, w- they would say that the Holy Spirit is the work of the Father and Jesus is not God. So we have one. And the problem with that as we understand the Trinity, is that he is as much one as he is three. three. <laughs> so Unitarianism is another heresy you may have come across in Sunday school. Again, I don't mean to, to bash your Sunday school teachers, um, because it's very difficult to understand something with natural means, use, using natural means to describe something supernatural. He is as much three as he is one. My favorite illustration, it's not... Um, to understand the Trinity, but it's to understand our understanding of the Trinity. Um, many of you in this room have heard of this before because I use it every year when we talk about, the, or every, you know, not necessarily every year, but we talk about this, the sculpture. We talk about um, uh, that we as God's creation can understand God to the degree that a sculpture can understand the artist. Think about how much a hunk of rock or a canvas of watercolor painting can understand the artist. Not a whole lot, huh? <laughs> Not a whole lot of understanding going on there. And that is the same distance between us and our understanding of our supernatural infinite God. Yeesh. That can be like scary and dis- discouraging. <laughs> and I don't want you to take it as an excuse to stop studying God. I want you to take it as an invitation to go on a journey to understand an infinitely amazing and super rad God that we serve, okay? The Trinity, he is as much one as he is three. So let's dive into what we know about the Trinity, um, how we can begin to understand it. The Bible will be our guide for this discussion. However, the word Trinity, you will not find in the Bible. And that's why this is one of those ideas that has caused a lot of division in the church because um, early church fathers were, were finding this concept the word Trinity isn't in there. The concept is very clearly in there. I'll show you here soon. Um, but they were having this discussion about, well, if the word isn't in there, how do we know that this principle is true? And that's how we ended up, people ended up having different understandings. I will present our understanding. What I have no doubt is the correct understanding, the concept of the Trinity. Try unity. Let's start with the oneness of God. We see it uh, in Deuteronomy 6.4. It says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This is what they call the Shema. Uh, do you mind if I practice my Hebrew? Um, this, is a, this is an important verse for a, a Jewish child as they are, I don't know if you like, have seen like a bar mitzvah or bat mitzvah on TV, but they like recite Hebrew like at length. Uh, and this is something that early Jewish children re- would recite twice a day. Twice a day, they're saying Jewish, uh, the, the Hebrew uh, version of this verse. It says, Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. You like that? <sighs> yes. Thank you, thank you, thank you. 
took uh, half a semester of Hebrew. So um, I, I learned the alphabet. That's, where, that's about my understanding. So, but this is a foundational verse to wonder, our understanding of God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. He is one. We see it again in the New Testament, James 2.19. Um, it says, you say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. This is a radical statement at the time, a big deal. Um, not necessarily in like a Jewish context. They would all agree, like Deuteronomy 6.4 says. But the other religions of the time, they were serving a whole host of gods. Some were real cranky. It was like the seven dwarves, maybe. Like some were real cranky about it. Some were very nice. Uh, some were wise. Some were, you know, they were like lots of all over the board with the polytheism. Poly meaning multiple. Theism meaning gods, polytheism, lots of different gods. But in James here, he's saying, you say there is one God, which is natural to us, but is a radical statement at the time. And it shows us God's oneness. Then we have the threeness of God, which turns out isn't a word, but why? Oneness is a word. I have decided threeness will also be a word today. As much as he is one, he is three, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So in Genesis, we see it already start to play out in the creation um, narrative. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. Kind of weird to use plural pronouns, right? He has not created anything. God just is. And if I were to get real deep, I would say is is a tough word because that word describes being and he like created being. My mind's melting. But, but before there was anything, he said, let us create human beings. All throughout the creation story, you're going to see plural pronouns. And we believe that that points to the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit creating together. We see it again in Matthew 3. This is Jesus' baptism. And it says, after his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, baptizo, the heavens were opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my dearly loved Son who brings me great joy. This is the baptism of Jesus. And we see all three persons of the, whole, of the Trinity in this narrative, in this one paragraph, we see Jesus, the Son of God, being baptized. We see the Holy Spirit resting on him uh, in the form of a dove. And we hear the voice of the Father speaking and saying, that is my Son, and I'm pleased with him. We see the whole Trinity playing out right here. He is as much one as he is three. Very important guiding principle as we understand the Trinity. So now we've laid a foundation. We're going to talk just fly through the whole Bible, <laughs> uh, talk about each person of the Trinity, uh, how they show up in the Bible, how, what they, the role they play in our lives. And again, as I am describing the way that each part of the Trinity um, affects our lives, keep in mind that he is as much one as he is three. So don't hear me separating here too much, right? Because he's not like water where he changes forms and talks to us as certain things at certain times. He is as much one as he is three. Just a little disclaimer. So let's talk about the father. When I think about the father, I think about the angry God who, is, who smites me whenever I sin. And I hope that um, in this room, we have cultivated an understanding of God that is better than that. And that that is not the, the Father's role um, in, in our lives, in, in the narrative of Scripture. So the Father is the Father because of his uh, fatherliness. <laughs> yes, yes. yes. 
um, God the Father started with Abraham. So he's revealing himself and saying, I'm going to be the father of this nation. I'm going to be the father of the people of Israel. We see that in Genesis 12. It says, the Lord had said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. So so the father is saying, I am your father. I am the father of this people that is going to start with Abraham. And Abraham had many sons, and many sons had father Abraham. So he has this whole people group of the Israelites that all come from Abraham. And in the New Testament, it talks about how we are grafted into that family. So like you may not be Jewish, like because Jewish means a religion, but it also means a nationality. It means a race. But the New Testament explains how we are grafted into that uh, family. When we accept Jesus, when we decide to follow Jesus, we are part of that family. We have God as our father. Then we have the son. Um, you're going to see God begin to reveal himself. Again, he doesn't change modes, but he reveals himself through scripture. He's revealed himself through the son. And Jesus' role, he came to earth to be crucified for our sins. It says in Matthew 27, then Jesus shouted again and he released his spirit. This is the moment of his crucifixion. At that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. I like to talk about this, this verse here. The old way was you, were fam you and your family were sinners, and we all are, we still are. So maybe once a year, once a, a time period, we would take sacrifices to the temple. So we would take maybe a dove, maybe a calf, maybe a sheep, lots of different versions of this, and we would take it to the temple, the best one we could find, and we would we would slaughter it as a sacrifice to God. We would give that as our sacrifice for our sins um, because it says the wages of sin is death and, and sin is always covered by blood. So that is the old system. Scary, dark, exhausting. <laughs> we have all these commandments. We have all this to know and to do. We have this whole process. Uh, Jesus came to clean things up and he, said, uh, he says, I'm gonna live this perfect life I'm not going to sing a single, a single time I'm going to sin, but I am going to go to the cross and die as if I were a sinner. And because my sacrifice is perfect, it's going to cover the sin of every single, everyone else, me, you. So Jesus's role on the cross was to change the system. His sacrifice is going to be the sacrifice to end all sacrifices. And when that happened, we see in this verse, the veil tearing from top to bottom. I love that he did not send his friend Peter with a pair of scissors. Hey, go to the temple, snip that curtain, and rip it from the bottom up. No. The, the, the veil was torn from the top to the bottom. You may be asking, what was behind curtain number one? It was this holy area in the temple where only the priest was allowed to go. You, as a, as a peasant, are forbidden from entering. Only the priest would be able to go after a ceremonial cleansing. In fact, they would tie a rope around them so that if they had not cleansed properly and were struck dead in the Holy of Holies, they would be like, hmm, he hasn't, he's been in there kind of a while, and they would just kind of pull your dead body out. This is some dark stuff, but this is what I'm getting at. This holy place reserved for community with God. This is where the, the priest would go to plead with God, to be in God's presence. When Jesus died on the cross, the veil was torn from top to bottom, removing the barrier. And Jesus' death signifies our connection to God. We now have a direct line to God. 
That's why we don't do things that you may see in other faith traditions where you have to go to a, a, a priest, a spiritual leader to talk to God, or you have to go through a saint to talk to God. We don't believe in that because of this moment where we said, when we, we read what happened here at the temple, and we understand that we now have a direct line to God because of Jesus' sacrifice. That was his role. That is his role in the Godhead. So as God is continuing to reveal himself to humanity, the Father, the Son, um, we go to the Holy Spirit. Not spooky. We go, uh, we see, this, the big event here for the Holy Spirit is the day of Pentecost. And um, you may know us, our church, as a Pentecostal church. That's because we have this moment in, in church history, in human history, was very, very important. And uh, we, we, we look at it very closely. And I'm going to do that here in a second. But the Holy Spirit came um, to baptize and empower us to represent him to the rest of the world. So this is Acts 2. It says, On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. So if you've been at Harvest on a Sunday morning, you may have heard this play out. You may have heard someone um, speak over a, you know, a soft music worship time in what sounds like gibberish, what sounds like not English. And that is, we believe that is God speaking through people. And in th- in this is where it goes back to. This is where it began to happen. And we believe it still happens today. And then you'll hear somebody interpret it. Um, and that's kind of how we see this scripture play out on a Sunday morning at our church. But the big idea of the Holy Spirit is to empower people. So it did not end at just they could speak in tongues, but they received power to take the message of Jesus, to represent Jesus to the entire world. Church growth happened with the power of the Holy Spirit, power and boldness. He is as much one as he is three. Especially if this is the first time you've heard any of this, this is a lot. (laughs) Um, and as I said, we are trying to use our tiny, tiny human person brains to understand the creator of the universe, and we will always have trouble doing that. But again, I remember the sculpture. I remember that I can only understand God as much as the sculpture can understand the artist. Not as an excuse not to study or try to get closer to God, but as an invitation onto this journey this amazing journey of learning and getting close to um, this amazing and enormous God who is full of love and for us. It's an invitation to that, to, to pursue the artist. That's what it is. The Trinity is one of the basics in understanding and pursuing our God. And if you, ex- as you expand your understanding, as you try to, to know him and learn him better, you will get closer to him. And that's what this whole series is about. That's what the basic series is about. Understanding Jesus, getting closer to God. And when you think about the Trinity, I want you to remember, he is as much one as he is three. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this understanding of the way you exist, that you are one God in three persons. You are as much one as you are three. Father, help us to take this journey to to follow you on this journey, um, 
to understand more and more of you, to get closer and closer to you, so that through our understanding, through our pursuing, we get to hear your voice better, we get to know your, your love better. So God, help us to make that move, to begin that journey with you, and to spend our lives devoted to getting closer to you, to listening to your voice, and to doing what you've asked us to do. As we be, uh, continue this series, those are the things we're going to start talking about. As we understand who you are, we're going to begin to talk about what you've asked us to do. So Father, help us on that journey. In your name we pray. Everybody said, amen. Thanks for listening to this Apex Student Podcast. You can listen to more Apex teachings by subscribing on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. We pray that this message has impacted your life and that you don't walk away without looking a little bit more like Jesus.